0: Welcome to Apparently, the podcast for absolutely average parents. I'm Ann Johnsos.
1: And I'm Tracy Weiner. Ann and I have been friends for a very long time. We met
0: right after college. Yeah, in our first jobs as radio producers. We spent our 20s as wing women for each other, and it didn't work out very well. But then, it did. And we found the right guys and stood up in each other's weddings. And then we had babies within weeks of each other. So we went from producers to reproducers. We make it look easy. We make it look
1: good. Which brings us to this podcast. We want to discuss topics that interest us and you and provide some knowledge to other average parents.
0: We're average, not experts. So we'll tackle these topics with people who know what they're doing.
1: Yeah, we'll get the experts. And I fully expect to embarrass myself along the way.
0: Yeah, after season one, I'm pretty sure we already have.
1: So welcome to Apparently.
2: We make it look easy. We make it look good. When everybody sees it, they stop and
0: Currently, food allergies are about more than scanning labels for ingredients and avoiding contact. Mm-hmm. Psychosocial issues for families with food allergies are significant but undertreated. And many, many of these families report that finding mental health professionals, um, they can't find them. They just can't find them. To understand their plight, yeah, basically, yeah. According to Psychology Today,
1: food allergies actually affect six to eight percent of kids in the United States. Uh, that's more than five million. Yep, uh, are actually broken down even more. One in thirteen
0: children. So then, if you th- if you think about it, it's like that's like two kids per classroom. Yes, and the
1: risk of death or significant medical costs associated with like. Um, contamination, uh, can create some really anxious households uh, for families. And in a lot of the food allergy circles, I read somewhere about a motto called, uh, they say, Epi Epi
0: First, Epi Fast. So just be That's ready. That's their motto.
1: Yeah, like, okay. just be prepared. Kind of like the Girl Scout motto, be prepared. They're prepared with their EpiPen.
0: Okay. All right. So I read an article that said um, the anxiety of food allergies isn't just about the fear of death. You know, like that that whole, you know, the epi thing. Um, It's about the phobias associated with the allergies. Like, so for kids who had an allergic reaction and and it stressed them out, right? Yes. Or had a bad epi injection or... How about all the allergy tests you have to go? The pinpricks and the blood tests. um, It's almost like they have PTSD. A little bit, yeah. Yeah. I'll take that a step further.
1: I would say um, based on my kids and their friends um, that have food allergies, there's also um, a little bit of disappointment because going over to a friend's house or a sleepover or a birthday party. like You're five and you want to go have fun at the bounce houses and have a cupcake and you can't because uh, whatever, like food dye, nuts, eggs, eggs, dairy, all that stuff. Just kind of a downer. It's psychologically, it's a little rough. So, or like, try telling your kid not to take a cookie when they're over at a play date or something. That's Ugh.
0: rough. Yeah, and I'm sure part of it too, as a parent, is relying on your kid to make that choice.
1: Yes, to ch- to make sure that they're aware. Yeah, or putting your trust in another mom when they're over. Like, please, yeah, don't let that, let don't have peanuts around or whatever the allergen is. Yeah, like just I don't have you. You don't have. You have an allergy but it's to yeah. gluten.
0: Uh at wheat, wheat, but so that means that I'm pretty much gluten-free. Right. Um and I get hives but I like I don't need an EpiPen.
1: Do the girls have friends that have allergies? Oh yeah. Uh, food allergies? Yeah. I do. They I would I would be in charge of the EpiPen when one of our friends came over. Really? When they were younger, yeah.
0: That is really stressful to me.
1: It was cuz I was like please well I made sure that we never had Right to to use it, but just the responsibility of oh my god, I might have to jam that <laughs> yeah. was a little bit much for for me. So it was stressful for me,
0: and it isn't even my kid. Right. All right. To talk about food allergies, uh, we brought in Gia Rosenblum. She's a psychologist who focuses on patients with life-threatening food allergies and the treatment of trauma.
1: Okay, and she's from the article that we were just talking about. Yeah,
0: um, Gia, thank you so much for uh, being part of this. Hi, I'm happy to be here. Thank you for bringing such attention to this topic. Of course. Uh, I loved your articles. I I read a couple of them. And um, you referred to food allergies as the invisible disability. What do you mean by that?
2: Yeah, An an invisible disability is any um, disability or significant life-altering issue that's not immediately obvious to public eye. So it doesn't automatically arouse the compassion, sympathy, or helping action on the part of other people. And when a disability is invisible, it requires some work on the part of the person just to be noticed as a person that might need accommodation or need help or need support. And that's, you know, completely separate from the question of whether people will then provide that support. Um, so for people with food allergy, it's not something that you see, you're not sick. Mm -hmm. You're not, you know, unless someone is having an allergic reaction, there's absolutely no outward sign or indication that they have this issue. And so it's always, um, on the person with the food allergy or the food allergy family to bring that to other people's attention. And and that's just sort of another, uh, layer of work and effort that people with this issue have to bear.
1: Makes sense. Uh, what are some of the most common food allergens? I, we've mentioned uh, peanut, peanuts is an obvious one, or tree nuts. My my daughter's friend was
0: allergic tree to tree nuts, nuts. yeah. What are the, um, aren't yeah. there big eight or something?
2: Yeah, in the, in the United States, the top eight food allergens, so the most common ones are cow's milk, egg, peanut, tree nuts, wheat, fin fish, crustacean shellfish, and soy. Also, sesame is now sort of gaining some traction and, and it's being talked about as perhaps um, going to be added. So we would have a top nine in the United States because sesame allergy is pretty prevalent. And then in other countries, prevalence differs a little bit based on what the diet of the nation is. So in some other countries, mustard, mollusks, like oysters, mm-hmm. buckwheat, celery, and lupin, which is another legume,
0: like peanuts,
2: are also big allergens, um, not so much in the United States, though. So.
0: Hmm. Interesting. I wonder if it's because people eat more of those things in other cultures. I don't know. I know that's not your job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they are trying to figure
2: that out. I mean, One of the things about this you know, meteoric rise and the prevalence of food allergies is that we do not actually know why it's happening. Right. So uh so research is trying desperately to figure that out so that we can work on prevention and obviously sort of stop this from happening
0: more. Absolutely. And so I, I know you're not a, a, an allergist or a medical doctor, but um I wanted to get something out there. You know, the big fear that uh Tracy and I were just talking about is uh anaphylaxis, right? That's when yeah. um the when you need the EpiPen. Um do you yeah. can you describe what anaphylaxis is?
2: Yes, sure. Um so anaphylaxis is a multi-organ systemic bodily response to an allergen. Um, and it is a medical emergency.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, it can involve a lot of different uh, body systems and a lot of different symptoms, but the most important thing is that if, if anaphylactic shock isn't treated immediately, it can be fatal. It's rare that it results in death, but it is possible. Um, and rapid treatment with epinephrine is is critically important. Um, So when I say multiple organ systems, what I mean is that, you know, as opposed to someone like yourself, you were describing, you just get hives. So a few hives are not a life-threatening issue, obviously, but when it's hives plus wheezing or vomiting or diarrhea or uh, dropping blood pressure, so a person turns pale, obviously, if they faint. Um, Also, any swelling or constriction in the mouth, lips, throat. Throat. Um, something that can constrict breathing, you know, all are indications of of an anaphylaxis of this multi-system event, which needs immediate injection with epinephrine and a trip to the emergency room.
1: Which is why that motto circulates amongst the food family, the allergy families is uh, epi-first, epi-fast. Yeah, and a, exactly, a, exactly.
0: A year or two ago, at um, our neighborhood boys and girls club, there was a, a young teenager who did have anaphylaxis, and she died. So, I mean, <gasps> from yeah. a contamination? Yeah. So, um, yeah. it's it's terrifying. Like you know, I I don't want to overstate yeah. it, but it you know, if 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 you've got a kid who is facing this, um, I I can't imagine how you let the kid out of your sight. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yes. It's. So, I mean, you're raising the, the most critical point. So number one is it can be life-threatening. The other critically important thing to emphasize, though, is that though any loss of life is a tragedy that is sort of unthinkable, It's also really rare. Yes. And it's much more likely, but sadly, a child would be injured in a car accident or some other kind of situation than death by anaphylaxis. But the most important thing that families can do to protect their kids from this life-threatening situation is to always have epinephrine within arm's reach at all times, number one, to have it available. And number two, to become super comfortable with the idea of using it in case of anaphylaxis, to have, you know, all your questions about using an epinephrine auto injector, whether that's an EpiPen or an AviQ. There are a bunch of different ones on the market to make sure you feel completely comfortable using it, to practice using it. Um, There are trainers that come in every EpiPen or AviQ or whatever kit, so you can practice with them. You can use expired auto injectors to practice on an orange, Mm-hmm. Um, there are good videos online to watch. Um, Boston Children's Hospital has a couple of videos, for example. So really, really becoming acquainted with and then super comfortable with the idea of giving this medicine, um, which is absolutely life-saving. It right. is a very, very, very beneficial medication.
1: You wrote a paper on the successful management of food allergies, and um, you had a bunch of listed out a bunch of requirements. Can you take us through some of those and how to, how to manage and deal and live? with a food allergy? Sure. Well, the first is what I
2: just mentioned. So having right. those epinephrine injectors with you at all times. Yep. And as you guys began to talk about, so being really on top of all food-related situations to be able to strictly avoid any of the foods that are known to be allergens, as well as avoiding any kind of cross-contact, that's where it gets really tricky. So because very minute amounts of an allergen can trigger an allergic reaction, people with food allergies have to be careful that like your slice of bread didn't touch the slice of bread that had peanut butter on it or yep. that your cookie didn't touch somebody else's cookie or that in the kitchen when they were scrambling eggs for someone else's breakfast, you know, your bowl of oatmeal didn't somehow come in contact with those eggs. So um, there's becomes a high demand for a lot of things like reading labels as well as interviewing and sort of grilling people who are preparing food for you, whether that's at a restaurant or even, you know, at a, at a social event or a catering hall or at anybody else's house where you might eat. So as you mentioned, going on a play date isn't a simple thing for food allergy family. No, um, It's really about making sure the other families are comfortable and able to provide a safe environment for your family. And with little kids, you know, toddlers, crawlers, kids who are going to be touching surfaces, putting their hands in in their mouths, it's also not just about uh, food that's served. It's about the environment. Until kids are old enough really to be in control of that and be good hand washers and that kind of thing, it's also about, you know, cleaning practices. And is this a family that, you know, regularly sits and eats bowls of nuts on their kitchen sofa and there might be, you know, just debris around normally even if they're a clean family you know, because of the way toddlers and little kids behave, you have to be careful about that. Um, you know, kids coming over, maybe they ate, a, you know, we're all eating on the go, right, all the time. So if your, your child's friend ate a peanut butter and jelly sandwich in the car on the way over to your house, well, you'd want that kid to wash their hands and wash their mouth before they played with your young child. So those levels of vigilance are part of daily life. Um, there also can be allergens in non-food products like cosmetics or craft supplies um i came across a circumstance where someone was using these juggling balls that were kind of like bean bags and unbeknownst to us they were filled with walnut shells what a so kid had a reaction from the dust that got kicked up from just you know throwing and catching these little fabric bean bags um you know un- things can happen in unexpected places so um Finding, you know, in addition, as we talked about, it's also about being able to recognize an allergic reaction when it happens.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So I always encourage people that I'm working with to make sure they get, you know, good information from their allergists and their physicians. You know, what are the signs to look for to, you know, get any questions they have about that answer to get trained in their EpiPen so, or their Abiq or their auto injector so they feel super comfortable using it.
1: And have the extended Um, family and friends know about it, too, so that when they're out of your care and with somebody else, they also know those signs and signals.
2: Absolutely, yeah. So that's the next thing, that that advocating, you know, educating the people around you. Uh, My daughter's a teenager, um, so she last year went on her high school senior trip, and before they left, I had all of her roommates come over to our house, and we sat down and had a training session. That's great. So even though they've known her for years and they knew about her food allergy, I was like, you know, you guys are young adults. You really need to be able to do this yourself. So we all practiced using her auto-injector, and we talked about signs and symptoms and went around the table made sure, you know, these uh, young teenagers were all comfortable with that.
0: So it sounds like the daily behaviors of people or families with food allergies are pretty overwhelming. You know, um it's stressful just thinking about your kid, you know, playing with a when bee they're bag. In your care, yeah. 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 Um and so you wrote about more than that too though, but you said that there, there are factors that add to the stress and anxiety. And you started with the pervasiveness of the threat. Is that does that just mean that there are possible allergens everywhere? Well yeah, you know, food is everywhere. <laughs> food is
2: an integral part of almost everything we do. The only like I'm just trying to think like what spaces have no food. You're not allowed to usually bring like a lot of food into the library, so maybe you can go to the library and find spaces where they don't allow food. But most experiences we have are experiences that have food as a part of them. Agreed. Um, I'm I'm stumbling.
1: Be- I don't. I can't think of a single place that I haven't seen somebody have a snack or something.
0: And we're sitting in a radio <laughs> studio where you're not and supposed most- to have food, and there there's food here. I brought
2: almonds in my <laughs> bag. Do it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. right. So that contributes to this sense of like, okay. So as as cautious as we are, there's a sense that any environment I'm in, I have to be a little bit monitoring what's going on around me.
0: Um, and that so, just feels that feels immense, right? If you if you realize that there's no real safe space, um, that could be paralyzing.
2: Well, and one of my goals is in working with people is to help them not feel paralyzed, to feel empowered, and to feel like they have the skills they need. To manage the threat so the threat doesn't feel frightening it feels like a challenge that they're up to but i do acknowledge that it's a lot of work you know there's effort that, that we put out as food allergy families that other people just don't have to expend
1: right proactively like you did um, because it was going to be out of your control when your daughter went on her senior trip so you proactively wor- worked with her friends and talked about it so that you have a a little bit of control, like you you know that they know what to do when she's gone on this trip. Exactly,
2: exactly. Okay. And the other piece that sometimes people who don't have food allergies aren't aware of is that we also spend a lot of time calling manufacturers, hmm. calling restaurants, asking for detailed information about, like, food manufacture and food preparation, because even with the labeling laws that we have that require that um, manufacturers list ing- actual ingredients, Those statements that you might see on foods that say, like, may contain or may have traces of, you know, that kind of stuff, that's all completely voluntary. And there's no regulation that dictates how that has to be described and the accuracy of it. Really? That's That's not regulated? Yeah. The may contain type of a statement is a voluntary uh, description and the part of the manufacturer.
1: No way. Processed in a facility, like I, that's on a lot of labels I have in yes. my house, processed Correct. in a facility. That isn't a mandatory thing.
2: Correct. That is not mandatory. There's a there's quite a um, bit of activism on the part of food allergy folks to get that to be mandated and specified what it means um, so that we could rely on it. But at, But at present, it's uncertain. You know, from one package to the next, from one manufacturer to the next. So a lot of food allergy families spend some time calling manufacturers, and and there are some organizations that also do that and and produce some lists for us. But it's, again, another layer of, of energy and effort that goes out to keep us safe. Um, especially from things like cow's milk and eggs and and gluten, which are just everywhere. Yep, exactly. Going out to um, eat is super challenging.
1: Yeah, sorry to interrupt. Going out to eat, my mother-in-law is celiac, and going out to eat is really difficult. Um, There is usually a trip from the chef out to talk about what's in the base of the broth or uh, even with like, for guacamole, going out for chips and mm-hmm. margaritas and whatever, like she has to have her like spoon her guacamole because it can't be because she can't you. have corn. Yeah, she can't. Yeah. Like we can't yeah. share and I'll dip our chips and she can't have corn. Yeah, there's no gluten in corn. I know that's just another <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. She, she has, an she, has
2: sensitivity.
1: Mul- she has multiple yeah. sensitivities and so like that's yeah. something when you're going out. For, it's not it's not a simple. Pro- it's not like hey let's go out to eat.
2: Right. When my daughter was very young, she was top eight abstinent. What? So All of Yeah, for a period of time while we were figuring out exactly what was going on for her. And she's outgrown. Then she was deer, cow's milk, egg, peanuts, and tree nuts. And then she outgrew cow's milk and egg. And we were just left with peanuts and tree nuts. And then in the past couple of years, she's actually outgrown her allergy to almonds and hazelnuts. So, we're slowly um, adding some foods back into her diet, even in her late teens. Wow. Um, because allergy isn't always evolving in sure. people's lives, and people add allergies too. Um, and um, a certain percentage, about 15% of allergies to foods arise in adulthood.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mine arose in adulthood. I think it was after, yeah, it was adult. I was not allergic to wheat until I was my in my 30s. My mother in law yeah. my
2: mother-in-law as well.
0: Um, all right. You yeah. mentioned the high social skill demands. Does that mean that our our kids have to advocate for themselves?
2: Yeah. So in all of these things, so uh, you know, even making that phone call to a manufacturer. So people who are socially uncomfortable or shy, or you know, really don't like talking on the phone, um, and then there, uh, you know, have difficulty with that. Then there's going to restaurants, talking to the the server, talking to the chef. Then there's advocating for yourself with your friends and family, um, your, your coach, your Boy Scout, Girl Scout leader, you know, those kinds of things, especially um, in adolescence when there's a lot of self-consciousness, a lot of wanting to fit in, not wanting to call attention to yourself in a negative way. Those uh, social skills can be really challenging. Um, and then, of course, we have the whole issue of dating in the teen years. So um, I remember when my daughter had her first boyfriend and she told me, she's like, I have to stay after school today because I have to have the talk with this boy she was dating. And I was like, oh, tell me about that. She's like, well, I have to tell him about my allergies because, you know, we we couldn't ever kiss if he's not willing to be aware and not eat
0: the things I'm allergic to. What a huge responsibility for her.
2: Absolutely. So for a little, you know, 14, 15, 16-year-old, you know, First conversations they're having with someone they have a crush on is like, "So I could die."
0: Oh my God. <laughs> so we have
2: to uh, address mortality here in our sophomore year of high school. Uh, it is—it's it's a really big challenge, and but also a really important one because okay. food residue in someone's mouth can trigger an allergic reaction.
1: So, do you think that um, nowadays, with the aisles at the grocery store, with um, gluten free products or soy you know soy free nut free dairy free all those things do you think that the food allergy community still feels like a lack of support or are people socially hassled towards them like oh. You know, I know, I know in my social circle, like sometimes for a a party, a classroom party at a school, there's no tree nuts, no peanut, no nothing. Well, then you're like, here's a bottle of water. And so sometimes people get a little fussy, like it's gotten to the point where you can't have anything. And so it's kind of like ho-hum. Yeah, it's a a party pooper, right? Kind of.
2: Yeah, you know, so both are true. I will say that, no question, the world is easier to navigate today than it was my daughter was diagnosed at about three months old. So when I was a nursing mom, I was abstinent of the food she was allergic to because if I ate them, she would react.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so 18 years ago, things were much more difficult to navigate um, there are the, the availability of foods, the level of awareness, the fact that there are whole restaurant chains that train their staff. Um, I went on a college visit with my daughter the other day and, um, the dining hall was nut free and they were incredibly well-informed in this particular college. So that's all phenomenal. However, it is also the case that there's still a lot of issues with bullying Um, Kids with food allergies are absolutely bullied in school directly because of their allergens, um, with kids like deliberately trying to place an allergen in the path of a child with an allergy or deliberately trying to get them to eat it. What? Um, Yes, there are documented cases of that happening. Um, The way food allergies are depicted in movies and television is often very disparaging. You know, it's played for a laugh. Um, it's viewed as a, as a weakness on the part of the person with the allergy. You know, it's sort of looked at as a uh, character flaw. Oh. So that, of course, only supports this, this bullying mentality. Um, and then you're absolutely right. You know, So, I, so one of the, I have a couple of hypotheses about why food allergies are sometimes really hard for people to understand. And one of them is, I think, because certainly people in older generations... We're not familiar with food allergies because they didn't exist. This is an right. explosion in, in recent years. And because of what we are all taught allergies are, which is kind of like hay fever, the presumption is, I know what an allergy is. It's an inconvenience. You will you know, you'll cough yeah. or maybe you'll have a, you know, runny nose or your eyes will itch. You'll be fine. Right. And people don't understand that this is not the same as that. I agree with so you. Generationally,
1: that is a problem,
2: I think. Yeah. And they find it unbelievable. So the idea that food would harm you to that degree, that it's not a preference or like a dietary fad, you know, people are people are like, you know, everybody I knew ate peanut butter and jelly my whole childhood, it was never a problem. How can this be? It feels impossible to some people. Right. And then there's the way we relate to food. So food is a very personal, intimate thing. You know, I've had to go up to people in airplanes or in the airport, you know, who are eating peanuts and, you know, very politely and gently ask them if they would be willing not to eat that on the plane because it could endanger my child. And I personally take the approach of offering to buy them an alternative snack just to kind of take the sting out of it. But think about, like, if you just randomly went up to someone and said, don't eat that. That's like saying to a person, like, I don't like what you're wearing today. It's like right. a personal choice what we choose to eat. So I do understand that people feel intruded upon. They feel inconvenient. They feel baffled. So I, so I do have empathy for the, for the rest of everyone who, who's sort of trying to figure out how to accommodate this. At the same time, they want to do what they want to do.
0: Right, Gia? Do you have to call? Like, I'm just thinking. I go to the Bears games, and they serve peanuts yeah. at Bears games. They serve peanuts yep. at Cubs games. They do yep. you have to call ahead and find out if they're if you can even go?
2: Yeah, I mean, it depends a little bit on the sensitivity of the individual and on the on the situation. So, in an open air stadium, um, for a person who's not. Ex- Exquisitely sensitive, and uh, obviously for an older child or an older adult who's not going to put their hands in their mouth, it's probably going to be safe. And that would be a question a person would have to ask their allergist about, like my specific level of sensitivity and the specific environment. Um, the thing about airplanes, for example, is because they're enclosed environments. And in the back in the day when they served peanuts to everyone on the plane, yeah. if you can imagine, like everyone opening up one of those packets and you've got little particles. That just like just get dispersed in the air. A whole airplane full of that could definitely pose a threat. They don't serve that
1: anymore, do mo- most planes serve pretzels? Don't they? Yeah, or nothing.
2: <laughs> like yeah, there's there's much more of that. Um, I know that. I mean, personally, I've had this experience in, that in first class they serve heated nuts. Hmm. Um, sometimes mixed nuts, like you know macadamia, pecans, oh, yeah. stuff like that. You know, so delicious for those of us who can eat nuts, but. Heating and cooking food is actually one of the things that can aerosolize the proteins, and it's the proteins that are actually the trigger for oh. an allergic reaction. Okay. So yeah. again, there's there's guidelines for safe air travel. You know, I've I've, I've flown to Australia with my daughter. You know, I, I I again I'm I'm really always focused on empowering people to find out exactly what their or their child's needs are and then to work within those safety parameters and live the richest, fullest life they can possibly live. Sure. So I'm all for like specifying what the need is, meeting the need, and then going out and living a good life.
1: So I'm going to tap into your psychologist background. Um, We're a parenting podcast and I know that in my own household, how I behave and act around my kids can translate and transcend down to them, so how can parents manage their own anxiety when they have a, a kiddo with a a food allergy so that they don't pass it on to the kids so the kids are like frenetically like anxious all the time about everything because kids are smart,
0: yeah, because you mentioned something yeah. about kids avoiding things because they didn't they don't want to be in danger and and that might come from the parents, right? It can, yeah. I
2: mean often I, I have I have seen both. So I have worked with kids who were really kind of phobic and had decided that the best way to stay safe was to kind of never eat anything and never do anything. And parents, you know, valiantly trying to encourage them to do more. So under those circumstances I work closely with the kids to, you know, help them reduce their anxiety and understand safe what safety looks like for them. But it absolutely can go the other way. I've certainly worked with kids who were raring to go and parents who were, were overwhelmed with anxiety. And that's where the bottleneck was. Okay. So I think for, for managing that stress, the, the first thing I really emphasize wow. is having all your questions answered. So, if you have a child with a food allergy, make sure you're having a really, really good positive relationship with your allergist. And if you don't feel comfortable asking all the questions you need to ask with your allergist, it might be time to change doctors or to reach out to some other resources so you feel like you really have all the facts at hand. So, for example, I I worked with a family whose child had a fish allergy, and they had questions like, is it okay to swim in the ocean? Is it okay to go to the aquarium? and they just needed those questions answered because in their case, it was absolutely fine to do those things, but they didn't know. So they were afraid unnecessarily. Oh, yeah. So the first thing is making sure you have all the information you need so you understand the safety parameters for your family. Right. Make an informed decision. Absolutely. And then the next thing is um, I try to help people really listen to themselves first, by acknowledging that the stress or worry anxiety that they have is real and valid, um, and to open up about that, either to a trusted friend, um, a family member, or even just picking up a, you know, a, a pen and a paper or a tablet or your phone or whatever you like to write in and, and be honest with yourself in your journal. Um, and try to figure out what's the worst aspect or the most anxiety-provoking aspect for you, because it's not the same for everybody. So I absolutely have families who were, for whom it's the food safety that's the scariest thing. But I have other families where, you know, they kind of got that skill set down and they have like figured out how where they can go to eat and what they prepare at home. But the thing that's giving them the most distress is that their family members are not understanding or supportive or the losses, as you mentioned, like not being able to just drop your kid off at a play date or have them join the choir or whatever exciting activity they want to do because there's some reason that they can't. So really kind of figuring out what's troubling you personally the most. And then figuring out from there, what do I need to do to get the support that is going to benefit me the most?
0: Do you have suggestions for how to help your family and friends get it? Um, You know, that Tracy talked about it too. You know that some people are just they just don't get it, and because it wasn't
1: around, my, par- my parents are kind of like that. They're like, I don't understand. Like it was never a problem
0: before. Their suggestions. I eat
1: dirt, and I'm I'm going to live to be 104. Like that kind of
2: mentality. <laughs> yeah. you, can you hear that
1: yeah. coming out of my dad? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes.
0: <laughs>
2: um. So yes, it's it can be really challenging, and you have to start by meeting people with where they are. So if you're talking to an older person who's just kind of incredulous and disbelieving, meeting them there and saying, I know, it's it's it feels impossible, doesn't it? What a crazy thing that something has changed in our world where our bodies react differently to these foods. You know, nobody really knows why, but they're trying to figure it out. And try, rather than kind of butting heads, starting by joining with them in their shock and surprise. Right. That's a good and idea. Right. So, so that hopefully will bring their defenses down a little bit. And now you're in a dialogue instead of in a, you know, kind of adversarial communication. Um, and then from there, trying to discern, well, what's their behavior going to be? So are they disbelieving and therefore they're not going to follow the safety rules? Because that's a very different situation than a person who's disbelieving, but they're going to do it anyway. They're like, all right, fine. If this is what you want me to do, I'll do it. I still think it's weird. You know, that's a very different situation from a family. And and I have had um, people tell me these experiences where someone disbelieved them and deliberately tried to slip their child the food just to see, you know, to prove that it would be fine. Oh, my gosh. So you have to really assess. You know, how how um, difficult is this situation? Right. If it's really a difficult situation such that your child's safety isn't guaranteed, then I would say you want to remove the child from that situation and keep working on the person. Mm-hmm. to help them understand to bring them up to speed time. yeah
1: so what strategies do you suggest you kind of mentioned it with your daughter um going off to college but i have a friend whose daughter's a freshman far away a plane ride away and every time i see her around town i'm like How, how's it going and she's she's in knots about the fact that her daughter has some significant food allergies and she's just so anxious because she's so far away and if some if something really happened and she was contaminated or came across something that she's so far away and can't do anything. How, how can you help parents when they're letting go? Not only just like not having them in their own house, which is painful enough as it is to be an empty nester, but also when there's a medical need like that.
2: Yeah. So, so there's two prongs to that, to my answer. The first has to do with helping your, your teenager and young adult be prepared for that independence. Um, that's mostly about information and pretty frank discussions, um, not avoiding the topic. So we'll be talking about, like, so, you know, how do you imagine managing your food allergy while you're at school? What do you picture yourself doing? Um, how are you? Who are you going to talk to in the dining hall? Um, where are you planning on keeping your epinephrine auto-injector? You know, what about when you go to class? What about if you go out with friends? Um how do you feel about telling the new people? You're going to be meeting a slew of new people. That's another huge social skill demand. Are you going to tell everyone, or are you going to just tell your roommate? You know, um, the other thing I feel is really important um, with teenagers and young adults is talking very directly about intoxication, alcohol, drugs, and the degree to which that impairs judgment yeah. and meaning. Kids with food allergies to really understand. You are probably not a safe person to just go out and get wasted because, you know, if you grab some peanuts off the bar, that's a very different thing for you than for someone else. Is that, does that suck? Yes. That's terrible. And when I work with teenagers, I commiserate with them about, you know, that's kind of crappy. You have this burden and let's just be real about it. Right. The other thing I like to do a lot with teenagers is um, do a lot of visualization and imaginal rehearsals. So, you know, can you picture yourself at a bar? Can you picture yourself at a party? Um, With girls, unfortunately, I'm often talking about safety from date rape and things like that. So we're already rehearsing some safety skills. Mm -hmm. So we can just fold these safety skills right into that as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's a lot about information and rehearsal. So that's for the young people. For the parents... It's about doing that and then taking care of yourself. So being overwrought and plagued with anxiety every day when you're, you know, your teenager is far away from you, it doesn't help them. It doesn't solve any problem and it doesn't help you. You're spinning
1: your wheels so, basically. Like it's,
2: exactly.
1: It's not going to change I think the facts. I saw this on a,
2: ref- a refrigerator magnet, like worrying is, a, is like a rocking chair. Um, there's a lot of movement, but you don't get anywhere. Yeah, that's good. So, so, you know, if it's really pervasive and the person is like having trouble sleeping, having trouble concentrating at work, not being able to parent their other children, you know, things like that, then I might encourage a consultation with a mental health professional to Mm -hmm. sort of help coping with worry. If it's not at that level, then making sure you're just engaging in lots of good self-care, perhaps making a structure for yourself, like a once-a-day or once-every-other-day check-in with your students. So you touch base. You get that, you know, it might just be a text message or social media. But you kind of touch base and then recognizing that from there, your own ability to soothe yourself, your own ability to exercise, meditate, get a massage, um you know, play sports, do the things that kind of dispel that adrenaline and, and the anxious energy that you might be holding so that you're going to be able to bring your anxiety levels down and getting support from other, from other people who understand is also crucially important in all of this coping.
0: Good idea. Thank you so much, Gia Rosenblum, psychologist who focuses on patients with life-threatening food allergies and the treatment of trauma very helpful and um we we know so many people who are affected by this and um i i hope that by talking about it
1: i think is going to be helpful to put put yourself in another parent's shoes so when when they're like maybe a little bit amped up at you know the a bounce party? house oh, yeah. a bounce house place or like at a at a, a birthday party that there's a reason for it and just to give that parent as much support as possible because it's their baby Ultimately, we all want to make sure everything's okay. So,
0: Yeah, so thank you so much, Gia. You're so welcome. My pleasure. So apparently, food allergies are a lot more complex, not just medically. Yes. But psychologically, um, people who have the threat are living under a lot of pressure.
1: Yes, it's not just about being allergic to peanuts, but living your life with an allergy to peanuts.
0: Yeah, and then as parents... Worrying all the time. Yeah,
1: navigating your relationships with others and
0: your surroundings and in different environments is hard. And then I think as parents of kids who don't have food allergies, we need to take a real look at the parents who are dealing with this and cut them some slack. Yeah, support them. Yeah, because um, we don't need peanuts, you know, like it doesn't make or break the party if we don't have the
1: cupcake or right. whatever the kids aren't going to remember that down the road right so
0: i Better think keep them safe
1: yes so this episode is for all those parents out there that live every
0: day mm-hmm. worrying and I'm about of, it i'm thinking of a couple of them right now i know me too. <laughs> me too so
1: i i feel you with your epi pens in your little purses i get it yep well speaking of allergies it sure wouldn't make me allergic i sure wouldn't be allergic to everyone rating us on itunes
0: <laughs> I, I I think every week you should try to one up yourself. I know, with these. I'm trying to up
1: my game here. <laughs>
0: but no, seriously, we're talking about.
1: I think I know it sounds silly to go on uh, iTunes and rate us or to leave a review, but it actually is really impactful. And we'd be very grateful if you would go ahead and share it on Facebook, share your share our page with your friends on Facebook, go on iTunes and leave a review about a special episode that you liked in particular, maybe say why you liked it or how it was helpful. Um, Those reviews matter and people look at it and they're
0: like, oh, maybe I'll check it out. And then maybe they share, too. Exactly. That's the whole point. And we'd also love to hear from you about topics you want covered. I just got actually a a text from a former student who does not have children, but she listens to the podcast, and she had two suggestions. She's like, oh, you got to talk to these two people. And I was like, awesome. You know, bring it. Tell us what you want to hear, because that's why we're here. Exactly.
1: And this marks the end of season four. I know. So... We're going to be on a little hiatus and get ready for season five, if you can believe it. So, um, all those emails—if you can send us ideas for what you'd like to hear or investigate—because we're we're out, you know, we're not the experts. We're going to go out and find the experts on whatever topic it is.
0: So, give us some ideas on what you want us to go look into. Yep. So, give us a call at three three one seven zero four zero zero four six or email us at apparentlypodcast. That's u h apparentlypodcast at gmail dot com. This is a WGN Plus podcast. I'm Ann Johnsos. And I'm Tracy Weiner. Thanks for listening to Apparently. We make it look easy. We make it look good. When everybody
2: sees it, they stop and take a look. So celebrate yourself. Celebrate. So celebrate.